Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. On this weekly podcast, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On this week's show, we have Vegas Golden Knights president Kerry Bubolt. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi Williams. And let's start with Colin Kaepernick. And if he is signed in the NFL, he's got a deal already. Mark King, the uh, the Adidas, the guy who runs Adidas in the U.S., uh, said recently that if, if if Kaepernick was signed, which is a major if and probably a, a never going to happen at this point, uh, that Adidas would be interested in signing him to an endorsement deal. Uh, obviously, Scott, there's nothing preventing Adidas from signing him right now. It's a it's a brand that has, for the past couple years, shifted its way into trying to be kind of at that nexus between uh, culture and athletics. Um, he seems like he'd be a good fit. I, I don't understand why say this at all if you're adding that Boom, caveat, that, especially when there's no, that's when there's it. nothing preventing you right what now. What was the purpose of the statement? That's the question, Bar. I, I, if you're going to make a statement like that, you might as well have the contract and pen in hand and add this guy to your roster. If you're looking for cultural influencers, you can't do better than Kaepernick right now. Why mention it if you're not going to put them on the roster? I'm not trying to be mean, but that's like saying, hey, if I win $10 million, I'm buying a ranch. Now, the odds of that happening are kind of slim, like Kaepernick being picked up by an NFL team. How cute is Barr? I'm not trying to be mean. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, it's, look, it's, you know, I'm with you. It's like, if you're going to make the announcement, okay, that's that's great, but it's got to have some meat to it. One of the funny things here, you can make an argument that Colin Kaepernick is one of the most influential NFL players out there right now, right? I mean, there's really, it's it's not a... a, Maybe even more influential because he's not on a team than if he does get signed. Yeah, Do you the, think he still has talent to play? It seems like he's still got talent to play. I mean, I, I'm no NFL scout, but I, you know, we all saw the guy play, and he certainly has a voice. And Adidas has 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 had a great year or two using non-athletes, Kanye, uh, Kanye principally among them. Yeah, it just seems like it's a voice that fits with the brand. Let's move on to the next topic: the NBA G League boosting salaries, and basically, it's about time. Yeah. Uh, what do we think, Evan? That the turning point was when the E League players were making more than the G League players, so they they brought it up to that. But the reason we picked this bar was because it's a it's a conversation in a, in a bigger context. It's sort of where does the NCAA go? Where do players go? This one and done. There's so much flux in college sports that the NBA has to give these talented top three, four, five, ten, whatever they are. An option, a realistic option, if I'm a really talented high school player and I'm going to be picked or first-year guy in in college, what's my option? Is it the G League? Is it Europe? Where am I going to go? And part of that is getting paid. And at least the numbers are starting to creep in the right direction. Yeah, don't forget we're about a month since Darius Baisley, a recruit for Syracuse, decommitted to the school and announced that he was going to play. Of in, course, in the it's got to be my alma mater that loses a good player. <laughs> Great, thanks. Which is a, a first for the G League. But again, we're talking this. This salary increase goes from the mid twenties to the low thirty thousand dollars. This yeah. is not. This is not a, a large sum of money. This, this is, is not going to play in yeah, Greece for exactly. a million dollars. This is nothing like what's house. available overseas. 
Um, sure. This is probably the, the first step in what is probably going to be a longer push by the NBA to try to create uh, a better system than the one we have right now for players transitioning from high school to the NBA. Uh, but again, it, it, making the, the, the base salary $33,000 or whatever it is, isn't going to really tip the scales. Maybe the solution is to be not only a great basketball player, but be a good gamer as well. And then you could do draw both. Two, do both. The Shohei Otani the, the, of the, the Shohei NBA Otani of the NBA G League. Yes, see? That's how I think. Let's move on to the next topic. And I hope I pronounce her name right. Erica Ogumbawale. Nice. Yay. She is, as you know, she hit that buzzer beater shot for Notre Dame for the team. And they won two. the end. Yeah, two. that's right. She had two, two of them. them. Yep. That's right. She had two of them. And she won the championship for them. Now, she is about to be on Dancing with the Stars. Now, that brings up an interesting problem because she kind of has to get a waiver, doesn't she, in order to participate in this? Yeah, and the NCAA has given that waiver, and I am legitimately stunned. Uh, you, can certainly, <laughs> you can certainly make the argument that this is the first of a, of a new day, a, a new approach by the NCAA. Um, but this is not, from what I understand, in keeping at all with the way they have enforced uh, their rules on athletes profiting off of uh, their abilities in the past. I mean, the, the, the last 10 years are littered with athletes that were doing a lot less connected to uh, their on-court, on-field stardom than what Erica Agumbawale is doing, that the NCAA has nixed, has taken away eligibility, uh, etc. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a good thing, right? I mean, it seems as though uh, a, a woman of her character, of her obvious talent, should be able to do something like Dancing with the Stars. It's great for the sport of women's basketball. It's great for Notre Dame. It's obviously great for her. You can make an argument that it's great for the NCAA as well. I think everybody wins in this situation. Uh, but this is definitely a, a waiver that is not consistent with the way that the NCAA has deliberated on these issues in the past. And you can't even make the argument, as some athletes have tried to in the past, that's not really related to your athletic career because this particular version of Dancing with the Stars is all athletes. Exactly. So they're, they're highlighting that it's athletes and I'm trying to struggle. The only one I can remember from reading the list, and this was a while ago, but for some reason Kareem sticks out in my mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I know Kareem will be there. I, can't, I really don't remember some of the others. But it's all athletes. This is going to be good. She might win. I am not handicapping this ball. Johnny Damon. <laughs> I am right. Johnny, that's right, Johnny Damon, right. Yeah. He'll, uh, he'll get hurt. He'll be on the deal. <laughs> oh, nice. Now let's get into this week's interview with the Vegas Golden Knights president, Kerry Bubbles. Scott Nevin, you can take it from here. Our guest was a senior executive with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he is now president of the Vegas Golden Knights. Kerry Bubbles, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having us. We're uh, we're excited to be here. It's been an incredible run so far, and it just keeps on chugging. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, I've heard throughout the years from a number of franchises that this expansion thing isn't so easy. Uh, you seem to make it look easy, though. I don't know what all the complaining was about. <laughs> well, again, I, I don't I don't want to take credit for what's happening on the ice. That that is a byproduct of uh, of terrific decision making by our hockey group led by George McPhee. And uh, the, our ownership, uh, Bill Foley, they, they did an absolute spectacular job going back to uh, last summer with the expansion draft. Um, you know, the, the parameters and process that was put in place, they, uh, they just did an incredible job. They went extremely deep in their preparation. And uh, last June, we selected our roster and the way they've come together, the style of play, 
um, and the effort that they give every night I, I think is unprecedented and, and uh, incredibly proud to be associated with uh, just such a tremendous group. And obviously it makes uh, everything that we do on the business side uh, just that much better, and and it's just been uh, it's been incredible. But I, you know, I don't want it to stop. We're we're still we still got a long way to go. Uh, we're only one round, uh, only one round in at this point, and we got three more rounds to go to the ultimate prize of uh, the Stanley Cup. Are you still educating Vegas residents as to the ins and outs of the NHL playoffs? Like it takes 16 wins to win the cup, or are they on some sort of warp speed education process uh, toward NHL hockey? Well, I think overall we've been, uh, candidly, we've been really fortunate. There was already a, a pretty deep hockey knowledge in the market, uh, even before we got here. Uh, when you think about the number of transplants uh, from other great hockey markets around North America that live here in Las Vegas now. So from from that end, I think we're in a pretty good spot. I will say that when we, uh, when we went into double overtime, um, I did have a few people say, well, when, when are we going to go into a shootout? And I was like, well, no, this, this is uh, nothing against soccer, but this is not soccer. Uh, we don't do shootouts in the playoffs. And, yeah, settle uh, in. You guys could be going for a while. <laughs> that's right. And so I just tried to prep them. We're going to have a 15-minute intermission just like, just like we did at between the second and third period. And then if we uh, are still tied, which we ultimately were after the, after the first overtime, we're going to have another intermission and uh, get to drive those food and beverage per caps, and then we settle back in and we get after it again until there's uh, until there's a goal. So, when, when do you cut off uh, alcohol purchases? Does that per cap continue into the overtime, or is that cut off ahead of time? <laughs> well, it, no. You, the, the, the league does a great job of making sure that there's a standard process and a responsible process in place. So we still cut off alcohol sales to, in the general. Uh, concession areas at the 12-minute mark of the third period, which is consistent with the regular season. Uh, our premium areas uh, we still had uh, throughout, you know, throughout the game, um, but uh, we did, you know, we did keep that responsible uh, timing in place. Kerry, from a business standpoint, obviously every year for every team has some bit of unknown. I imagine for an expansion franchise in a brand new city that is taken to the extreme, what's kind of surprised you financially about? about this season what's been easier than than you expected and what's maybe been a little bit more difficult uh, as the team exceeded expectations on the ice well I, uh, maybe the, to answer the second part of the question i think the more difficult part honestly was uh just being able to really capture um all of those expenses that candidly in a in a more uh, traditional environment or a more mature environment that you just take for granted and i can literally remember the day that i got here uh, october of 16 and uh, things like, uh, well, we've got to get carry a laptop, and we've got to have network infrastructure. And, you know, there were 11 people on board at that time. And um, all of those things, again, that we all take, take for, you know, pens and pencils and um, paper and, and uh, masked, you know, logo uh, paper and just all of those things. Um, and I could go on and on and on. Um, there were so many investments that, uh, that you're just not able to kind of think through on the front end as you plan the expense side of the equation, um, which ultimately you know, translates uh, for our owner, Bill Foley. I think on the positive side, um, just the way the market has reacted to the team, we knew our ticket revenues were going to be strong. We had already seen what those trends looked like, uh, regardless of uh, the on-ice product that we've had. We knew our sponsorship numbers were going to be strong. We knew where our TV deal was. Um, but I would say the retail numbers have uh, surprised us. And uh, the way people have jumped behind this team and 
literally you can't go anywhere uh, in the market and not see someone in some Golden Knights gear, whether it's a team hat or a pullover or sweatshirt uh, or even one of our team jerseys. Um, the, the brand and the retail sales have just been uh, – just been incredible and I'm, I'm really proud i go to the games and i you know i walk around and i've read a lot of studies about some of the the top sports brands that are out there you know whether it be the golden state warriors or the chicago cubs or even the blackhawks those teams that really have excelled in the retail space and they say that on any given regular season game you'd have between 70 and 80 percent of the fans in some in some form wearing your product and uh we're already at that point and we're not even through our first year yet. And uh, and then to see what we saw those first two games in the playoffs where literally every fan uh, just about um, was wearing, uh, you know, wearing something with Golden Knights. It's a real source of pride, but it's also a terrific uh, uh, positive in the uh, the bottom line of the organization from a retail perspective. Going back to those early few weeks, are there things that you guys still haven't done yet that, that maybe because the team was doing so well because merchandise was flying off the shelves that you didn't have a chance to prioritize? I mean, do you have those logoed papers yet? And we did get those finally. Well, let's remember. But, uh, let's remember. Bill Fuller did pay five hundred million for the expansion team. It'd be okay if he wants to chintz on pens and paper. That, that's right. Well, it's just, again, it's one of those things where you just, there's so much to do, and it was such a short kind of period of time once the NHL said we're here, and, you know, Bill was smart. His first focus was um, the hiring of George McPhee and the hockey side of our organization, and so uh, even though I came shortly thereafter, all of our hockey infrastructure was in place. Um, all of our scouts, pro, amateur, um, all of the other support group, uh, our assistant general manager, Kelly McCrimmon, um, and so George had really built his team out. And so when every other team, when you go back to fall of 16, was, uh, was, was in their season and preparing for their season, we were preparing for one thing, and that was the expansion in the amateur draft uh, coming up in June of 17. And so we really had uh, an opportunity to really go deep. And, you know, honestly, I think our guys knew most of those organizations better than even some of their own people did, just in terms of how deep they went on the, their players and, uh, like I said, just did a fantastic job piecing this together through the expansion uh, the expansion draft last summer. We are chatting with Kerry Buboltz, the Vegas Golden Knights president. And Kerry, from an analytics standpoint, where do your customers come from? Uh, obviously, a chunk will be local, but do you see an influx from Winnipeg, Detroit, Toronto, when that team's in town? Because that was always sort of the messaging from the NHL. You had strong local support, but you also fill the building with sort of these tour packages when the teams come to town? You're partially correct. I think uh, just to kind of answer your question, um, the league, first of all, did a great job of making sure that during the ticket drive early on in the process that it was locally driven, and they put parameters in place, uh, whether it be the casinos that are here in the marketplace in terms of the, the number of tickets that they could buy. Um, and it, when it all shook out, 90% of all of our season ticket members were from Las Vegas. Um, so they were they were local, and um, and then that remaining 10%, you know, you got a little bit of Southern California, a little bit of Canada, a little bit of other parts of Nevada, and a little bit of Utah, um, but that was primarily the mar- primarily the market, um, you know, in terms of our base. What we saw during the regular season, and we actually, um, you know, were uh, I don't want to say we aggressively marketed it, but we were certainly not working against it because we're a destination market, and so. Um, Those visiting fans were very welcome in our city and in our venue during the regular season. And you mentioned a few, like Winnipeg as an example. 
Uh, they traveled extremely well, but all of those seats were being bought in the secondary marketplace uh, through uh, through our exclusive partnership with StubHub. And so, uh, well done, you know, Kerry. Way to get that sponsor mentioned in. There you go. Yes, <laughs> but I, I give I give those guys credit um, up in Winnipeg, and then Edmonton traveled extremely well. They were actually uh, they traveled more from those two markets than any of the other U.S. markets, and then of course Chicago, Detroit. Um, they did extremely well when we played the Rangers. You know, they did well. Um, of course, L.A., just based on proximity, they did very well. Um, but as we got towards the playoffs, um, you know, we ultimately decided, okay, that's the regular season. Now it, now it counts. And so we put a different process in place and ultimately uh, uh, we're very creative in terms of how we went to our members and really just encouraging them that, hey, this is the Stanley Cup playoffs and uh, we incentivize them financially to uh, to make sure that they were you know give them the best value through what we call the Knights Val program um, to not resell their tickets. But if they were going to resell, um, you know, sell them through our exclusive marketplace with StubHub, but also they were going to pay a higher price for their Stanley Cup playoff tickets. And uh, we really felt like it was a win-win. Our members. Uh, that weren't going to sell their seats, they got a great value and a great price. And then those that still wanted the option to resell their tickets through StubHub, they could, but they were going to pay a higher price. And the result was, because um, we were really trying to you know, make for the best home ice advantage we could and not have as many visiting fans, um, and, and there literally were no Kings fans in the building hardly at all, and uh, a few hundred at best. And I was really, really proud of uh, our market and proud of the effort and it really made for an even, you know, we had we had playoff games every night during the regular season. It was even more amped up when we got to uh, games one and two last week. For those visiting fans, I would imagine a portion of that is obviously the attraction of the city that, that you guys play in. Uh, there also seems to be the attraction of the games itself. I, I keep hearing from people, I haven't been out to T-Mobile Arena yet, keep hearing you need to go just for the experience. Nobody says that about any other team I can think of in sports. You know, Nobody says you have, you have to go to the Islanders games here in Brooklyn because the experience is so good. You know, you have Cirque du Soleil in the intermission. You have Blue Man Group. How important is the actual surrounding, the experience, the whole entertainment of the game to kind of keeping fans both from Vegas and visiting fans coming through the turnstiles. Yeah, and I appreciate you bringing that up because I, I think it's one of the most important things that we do. And, um, you know, first of all, we have a market that has a reputation and even a moniker as being the entertainment capital of the world. And so we knew early on that uh, that as we looked at building this brand, that we knew there were enough hockey fans here. So we felt great about that, and they were going to come for the hockey. But ultimately, if we were going to go deeper and wider across the entire market, uh, area that uh, that we had to really compete with the great entertainment options that are on you know in this market already, and so game presentation and the event presentation were a huge focus, both in terms of the people that we hired internally and the talent and resources that we put forth, um, but also um, all of the things that uh, ultimately play out during our games, uh, from what we do with the pregame activity uh, in Toshiba Plaza. With uh, with our march uh, uh, that we actually have to to the building. Can you describe to, it for for our listeners who haven't been out to Vegas and, and and who know maybe the general NHL experience, but not the the yeah. Vegas one? Sure, I'll do the best I can. So we're we're, we're our proximity is right next to the backside of New York, New York, and Monte Carlo. So the two casinos actually are in the exterior of our venue, and and within the two uh, areas outside T-Mobile Arena 
is what they call the park district. And that park district is restaurants and bars that literally sits uh, just outside the front doors of T-Mobile Arena. And so we start on the backside of New York, New York, and we've got our drum bots, which is our drum corps. We've got our Golden Aces, which is really one of our interactive squads. We've got our night mascot. We've got Chance, which is our Gila Monster mascot. And then a variety of other characters, and you reference some of them, whether it's the Blue Man Group or uh, the folks from Circus Soleil, and they literally parade through the park, through Toshiba Plaza, into the building 45 minutes before puck drop, and then they walk with the parade throughout uh, both the main concourse and then the upper concourse of the venue before they settle into their, uh, their game night routine. And so that's one of many, many, many things that we do. Um, then our player warm-ups. Uh, we don't just, you know, push the pucks out and turn the lights on and let the guys come out. When they come out for our warm-ups, it's a part of the show. We turn the music up as loud as we can possibly stand it. It's like a rock concert, and a lot of the visiting team fans and players have commented to me about what uh, what great energy we have, even just for the warm-ups. And then, of course, we go into the actual player introductions, which is a big it's a big event. It's not just videos and then the guys skating out. We actually uh, have a uh, what amounts to a mini play that actually happens on the ice with the bad guys of the visiting team. And then, of course, uh, the night character, he slays the visiting team uh, 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 person, the bad guy. Can you tell um, me what that, jo- what that job description, that posting was like, you know, <laughs> seeking long-haired night-like man who can skate? <laughs> That's right. Well, the skating part was important, uh, which was incredibly important. But it's all a part of the story that we're telling as part of the night. And these, these other 30 teams are descending upon La- Las Vegas to steal the golden sword that uh, that is really a, a big part of the actual show and so the golden sword is on the ice and the bad guy tries to steal the sword and then of course uh, the, our guy comes out knocks him down and then he takes the sword out and then of course there's lights and there's music and there's video and all of that's kind of playing out and then we have a giant 20-foot uh, uh, helmet of our brand and our logo that descends down from the roof with this very ominous music and this smoke and this deep, deep uh, gold lights, and it uh, descends down, and then, of course, the guys skate out from there. And um, I'm not doing it justice uh, over, the, you know, over the phone here today. It is something that is a must-see, in my opinion, uh, but I've heard from people all over the country just the energy and the, uh, the very unique kind of story that we're telling. And yeah, we, we it's, tear- it's not old-school hockey. It is not old-school hockey, um, and we're very proud of it. We hear so much from conference commissioners in college, from owners across all the major sports that there is obviously this push and pull between fans sitting at home and watching on TV and, and, and teams monetize that obviously very well. And then the, the push to try to get people actually into the venue. Uh, but no one seems to be doing the entertainment thing the way that you guys are doing it. Is that the, have you found the solution? Is the, is this the answer to just go over the top in terms of entertainment value? Well, I, you know, I think every market is a little bit different, but certainly, as I mentioned earlier, um, we have a reputation and an expectation that uh, that we have to deliver on. And, and look, we would be naive if we thought every single person that was there was just there because uh, because they want to watch uh, just the hockey part. Again, we're trying to find that balance between entertaining people and then ultimately introducing them to a sport. And I'm proud of the fact. The number, I mean, it's literally hundreds of conversations I've had during the year with people that have said, I never had any interest in hockey ever. 
and now I can't wait for the next game to watch it on TV or to be here. Um, and they're they're wrapped up into it, and um, it's uh, you know it really has turned into something special. And like I said, we're really really proud of what's happened, and it all starts with the guys on the ice and the work ethic that they they bring every night, and the success that they're having. And ultimately, it's translating uh, to give us a terrific opportunity to build a really deep uh, and wide fan base. And ultimately, our next step is how do we build this. Uh, not only on a regional basis because we're distributing our games all the way to Montana through our partnership with AT&T Sportsnet, um, but how do we really build this brand on a national and even uh, international basis, much like the city of Las Vegas is. And, um, you know, even though it's the 40th largest TV market, the brand Las Vegas is one that uh, is much uh, much wider distributed on a national and international basis, and, and we're trying to find ways to connect the hockey team to that. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't sell yourself short there on just the uh, the national. Everybody looks international with scalable media these days. And we're chatting with Vegas Golden Knights president, Kerry Buboltz. And Kerry, this is going to be an odd question, but it is something that comes up when I'm talking to some folks in the business, mostly on the business side of franchises. Some say that there's a possibility that in year one, you're having too much success, that an an ideal would not be one of the best teams in the league winning and going deep in the playoffs because expectations from first-year customers are then set for that. Is there any merit to such an argument? Well, I I understand that people would make that comment, and, uh, you know, I think I'm going to separate the business side of that question from uh, from the hockey side of it and then answer both. But, you know, I would say on the business side, um, the vast majority of the economic numbers that we've been able to create were ones that we expected. We knew where the business was. We expected to be over capacity for every game. Um, I mentioned the retail as being a you know a nice surprise because of the byproduct of the on ice part of what's happened here. Uh, so that certainly has been uh, you know been an, a, you know a, a different opportunity. But we expected that we would build a great foundation for the long term, and uh, I've never believed in the honeymoon effect. I believe great operators continue to build their business and have success each and every year. Um, but a lot of times we're defined by the on-ice or on-court side of our, of, our, of our product, and I understand that part of it. And so um, you know, I think early on, if you were to ask the hockey guys, it's like, okay, this is great, but at some point, um, you know, the uh, kind of the reality of the situation kind of starts to settle in. But as it continued to build and as the momentum continued to happen, and then ultimately we got to the trade deadline, and, uh, and I give uh, George McPhee a lot of credit. You know, he, he basically had many, many opportunities to change up this roster, and I think there was a lot of speculation that we would. Uh, but the thing that stood out for me the most is he said, this group has earned the opportunity not to have changes and to go see what they can do in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And that's what uh, that's what they're going out to do. So, um, you know, once you get to this point and you get in the the tournament, so to speak, um, unlike my days in the NBA where it's you know you you want to say all 16 teams had a chance, but let's be realistic. Yeah, let's um, be realistic. Hold on, for people who don't know your background, you came from the Cleveland Cavaliers. You had LeBron. Every team didn't have a chance. That, that's right. That's right. And so we, you know, we, we, even as you kind of map it out in terms of, uh, fin- we were mapping it out to the NBA. Fin- I mean, that's what our expectation was. And, uh, and, and a lot of it did have to do with LeBron. And so whether it be Golden State or Houston, um, you know, I'd be surprised if there was, uh, 
you know, another team outside of the ones that we've talked about. You know, and I, you know, I love what Minnesota's doing. I love what Philadelphia's doing. Um, but you have to be realistic. Hockey's different. And uh, last year's a perfect example. Literally the last day or two of the regular season, Nashville slides into the playoffs. And nobody – I mean, they were the 16th seed. Nobody expected them to do what they did. And next thing you know, they're competing against Pittsburgh for the Stanley Cup championship. And uh, year after year after year, you find seven and eight seeds doing great things and ultimately getting uh, to advanced situations, whether it be the Eastern and Western Conference Finals or the Stanley Cup Finals. So when you get in the Derby, you go for it. And uh, we're in, and now, uh, now the guys are going for it. And off of this first round, hopefully they've got more uh, more confidence and more momentum, and let's see what happens in round two. Kerry, one of the biggest sports business stories nationwide right now is is this possibility that that, that sports gambling is going to be legalized around the country. Uh, you are the only sports franchise in, in the U.S. right now where betting happens legally in, in your backyard. I'm curious as to what you think the opportunities are, both for you guys and for franchises around the, the, the country, uh, if the Supreme Court decides that, you know what, states are free to uh, to offer sports gambling if they want. Right, right. Well, and obviously that's a great question and one we're, ob- we're definitely paying attention to. Um, I do think, though, that, you know, our impact is probably the least of any sure. uh, sports organization that's out there because we're already in it. We're already living it every day. And, um, you know, honestly, it's not a huge part of uh, of what we do here. Uh, we're aware of it. We know our fans are participating in it. I talked to the guys at some of our casino partners who, how uh, you know how the sports books are performing with hockey, which has been <laughs> a nice. You're doing some new, damage uh, to them. That's that's right. They're, <laughs> but they're, the amount of uh, wagering on hockey has gone up. You know, in, anywhere from 10 to 15 times what it was before the Golden Knights in uh, the majority of the sports books with the larger casinos here. Um, but ultimately, as the Supreme Court goes through their process, if that opens up um, the market in a different way for other teams, um, you know, I think first and foremost, the leagues are going to have to decide, okay, what does that look like? Because right now, um, you know, team, just about every team uh, around the country at the major league level, they already have gaming relationships. Mm-hmm. They just can't promote the sportsbook part of it. Um, and or in most cases they don't have sports books and so um, you know those rules and and guidelines are already in place so um, I think it's going to take a little bit of time um, for especially some of the mobile gaming opportunities that are already existing in Europe and and some of the other places with soccer in particular um, for that to create um, more revenue opportunities for major league teams uh, both in terms of the sponsorship space and or some other kind of shared revenue scenarios that uh, that may be out there but um you know right now all of that lead would come from the nhl and and uh you know we would just follow uh follow their direction on that front and and see what happens but i do believe because i see it here in las vegas which i didn't understand it as much in my time in cleveland is it uh it does and you know, i think the nfl is the best example um it, it does create a deeper and different connection for people to follow the games um, because of the wagering opportunities. And I, I ultimately think that's, uh, that's a good thing because it allows you to um, you know, create fans in different ways other than just the traditional uh, you know, fandom that people have. Right, Kerry, I want to end on this. If you make the finals, any shot, standing on center ice, raucous crowd, Celine Dion walks out, sings the anthems. Oh, save 
<laughs> well, we've reached out to her. We I bet you have. Get- we haven't been able to get her to come over yet. I guess we're just not quite there yet. But yeah, you uh, got to give her a ten-year residency. That's right. That's right. We would never turn down Celine Dion. That's for sure. She's. Uh, we know she's a hockey fan. We've seen her in the market a few times with Golden Knights gear, but we just haven't been able to connect the dots uh, to get her over here. But we would love to have her. Um, but until that point in time, we've got a lot of other uh, you know great people that have reached out, and um, we'll continue to. You know, it's, it's still an important part of our event presentation is making sure that the national anthem is is done at a high level and and uh, especially when you get into the playoffs if you can add the celebrity component and again i think nashville did an incredible job last year um and everything that they've done we've tried to model uh you know a lot of what they've done and and uh and so yeah we'll just keep it keep it going and like i said keep having fun and keep building and uh, and then just following our coach, it's it's literally one game at a time. So trying not to get too far ahead of ourselves. Yeah, well, it helps if uh, Carrie Underwood is married to the team captain, but uh, you have no <laughs> such affiliation. But we'll see. All right, Carrie Bubolts, the president of the Vegas Golden Knights. Thanks so much, and good luck the rest of the way. No, I appreciate the time, and you guys have a great day. Takeaways from Carrie Bubolts. I'm struck, Eben, by the local support. I really doubted how many fans would show up in this inaugural year. I know they're good. But Vegas is a three-shift town, one working, one sleeping, leaves one-third available to maybe go. I, I heard the numbers. They had this strong sales push. I got it. I was still skeptical. But the locals really turn out for this team, and they're giving you sort of a compelling, localized different entertainment product that you're just not going to get anywhere else. That's my big takeaway. They seems like they may be on the cutting edge, the early stage of a real revolution in how sports teams handle in arena entertainment. We saw he mentioned the, the the Nashville Predators of a couple years ago utilizing the big music hub in their town to kind of galvanize fans. Vegas is doing that to an extreme. He has Cirque du Soleil, he has Blue Man Group, he has big name artists that are coming in. The parade that he talked medieval about, medieval times, the, the, the medieval times like joust that happens. Um, th- there's so much that they're doing that I think other clubs around the country are thinking. You know what? Maybe we don't have two people, random people from the stands compete in a hockey shooting competition at the intermission. Maybe we get a real act, uh, something that is exciting that has people talking about it uh, outside of just the game. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since the kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. It is now time for our number of the week. The number is three, Mr. Novi Williams. Can you guess what three? three it's really three year old. Oh, three years old. Three. That's helpful. Okay. Uh, unless we're talking about a human baby, I think we're talking about a full grown thoroughbred racehorse. We well, is that full grown? Yes. I don't want to. Yeah. Okay. Well, then yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and a, and a full grown tight end as well. I think I know the name of the horse and the name of the tight end. Uh, One and they, the same. Are they both Gronk? They are. Well, yes. Is it Gronk or Gronkowski? <laughs> yes. But uh, Rob Gronkowski is purchasing a stake in the Gronkowski horse that'll be in the Kentucky Derby. Talk about brand synergy. One of my favorite things about this, uh, he announced this on Twitter using the headline that everybody was going to use anyway, right? Gronk buys into Gronk. Uh, Who needs journalism? Who needs Players' Tribune when you can go straight onto Twitter? Did you read the quote? I've never dealt with horses, he said. Hopefully I can get a ride on the horse. That seems that, unlikely. That would kill the horse. Yeah, that seems like uh, <laughs> this, this is not what Gronk you want to do with your, your horse. 
Uh, yeah, I don't think Gronk will be riding Gronk uh, anytime soon, unless he loses, I don't know, 150 pounds, 200 pounds. Well, I hope he listens to this program. You have been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Scott Soshner. And I'm Evan Novi williams Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You are listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes. Bloomberg.